Yes, this voice that you hear in your ears right now means that I am back with another episode of Radical Humanity. And this voice that you're hearing is, is the voice of Ben Hoover. And I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. And this is my stage that is in my room. And I stand on this stage, but I actually sit on a chair and I talk through a mic that records in my computer. And I don't have an audience that I, that I visibly can see. But this is my stage where I get to talk out loud these, these thoughts that I'm unraveling. Um, and, uh, and before I go into this, well, actually, let me just say that this is the, this is the seventh part now. Uh, uh, in the series, in this Beatitude series. And I will explain what that all is, but um, there's eight parts to this because there's eight statements that are made in this this whole Beatitude speech that Jesus gives. And it's a really, uh, I find it such a profound, significant um, uh, uh, um, kind of... Uh, sequence of statements. It took a bit to try to get that out. I, I find it so profound, um, the sequence of statements that he makes. And, uh, and so, but let me, let me first talk about what this process has been like. I was trying to capture, or conjure up an image of, uh, uh, to sort of encapsulate this whole experience, sort of kind of paint a metaphor, which is kind of not really a metaphor, but the image I get is there's this, uh, we might have seen it in movies where there's this man, this sort of savant, um, this person that that has this creative flow com- coming out of him, and, and you watch him and he's just immersed in this creative process for days. He doesn't shower, he doesn't eat, he doesn't shave, nothing. He has a cigarette just barely hanging out of his mouth, uh, still somehow lit, and, uh, and he's typing away or whatnot because he's, he's got this mad rush, uh, uh, this, this wild and untamed rush of ideas bursting forth out of him. And that's... And that basically describes this process of uh, of this series I've been doing. This is now, I started this on Friday, I think like uh, Friday afternoon-ish, um, early afternoon, and it's now Monday, and this is the seventh episode, I have another one to go, and I probably won't even get to that today, or I'll, I'll maybe start writing that today. But uh, um, let's see, I showered Thursday. And I worked out Friday, and I haven't showered since. I realize I have eaten though, I've, and I've uh, I've watched uh, some comedy uh, just to as a palate cleanser to kind of decompress and detox from all this thinking. Um, I haven't shaved, so I have a nice neck beard going on. Um, yeah, so I stink, and I'm hairy. And uh, I hope that sounds really attractive to you. I should probably put that on my dating profile. Um, but this is this has been my uh, this this has been what I've been immersed in this, and I haven't wanted to break away from it. I've wanted to 
really kind of plow through this. <clears throat> and it's been this incredible experience. I wish I was kind of saving this for the last episode, but um, but it's been really, really incredible. I've had some 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 little uh, mini solo dance parties, turn on music and dancing around the house, and um, sometimes uh, this this being so profoundly touched uh, and this emotion coming out of me, these tears coming out of me, this gratefulness of being able to write this stuff out. Uh, this is this has been a very intimate uh, process for me as I've written these pieces on these eight statements in the Beatitudes, and uh, now I'm I'm uh, and, and talking them out uh, in this in my podcast. <clears throat> so uh, it's actually this is very special to me, and uh, and just a quick backstory. This again these these writings or, or wanting to write on the Beatitudes stirred up. Um, mostly last year when I went to a cabin and I decided to write for myself. I stopped posting things online and because that was creating problems for me internally. And, um, and, and I decided to just write for myself and there was just this incredible freedom that came out of it. And then from there, I just, uh, once I had written uh, on these eight pieces, these, some individual writings on, on each of these pieces, I, uh, I walked away and then I came back uh, in this last week, Friday, basically. And I have added things. I've taken things away. I've rewritten pieces completely. I haven't even read some of the older pieces. I thought, nope, I'm going to write it from, from this place that I'm in now. So, uh, the Beatitudes, what are those? As I said, there are these eight statements of blessings and the, the blessing in a way uh, the essence of that, the meaning of that, is that it's you're rich. You're now rich in this life, and that to come, basically. You're um, you're you're happy. You're there's, and it's not a happiness that we see on a Hallmark card or what you know the Hollywoodized version. It's a contentment. There's a peaceful. There's a joy. A better way to even say that. Um, that uh, that radiates. From the core of us, so that's what he's talking about. And basically, this, these profound statements, even though they're these sh- eight short little statements, they're so jam packed with meaning. That's what these ancient writings are. This is when Jesus would communicate with people. This is this is his. Uh, this was kind of his mo. His uh, his signature move was to create these. Was to say these things that had so much mystery that it provoked someone to unravel the understanding of it. And, um, and and endeavor because when we when we explore, you know that when you explore, when something pricks up in you, turns on in you, the switch lights up. The, there's a switch on, and you light up, and you want to endeavor. That's a personal movement. You're actually seeking for yourself. This isn't for anybody else. You're seeking to know for yourself. This is what I did is with these writings. As I wrote for myself, I was. Uh, I was so intrigued by this. I was drawn to this, and and the uh, the the incredible impact that's come from this on a personal level is is so profound and beyond words. And so anyway, so so Jesus makes these statements, these mysterious statements, and the way it was presented to me, like six ish years ago when I was in grad school, was uh, this professor had pointed out. And I never heard this before, but he pointed out that that there's this there's this progression. There's this movement. It's there's a um, uh, kind of a, a, a flow, a, um, 
a, a change, a trajectory to it. <laughs> Is that enough words to describe that? Um, I, uh, and I was so fixated on that. I couldn't get out of my mind. I'd never seen it. I thought it was just a list of qualities and characteristics. And in a way they are, but they're not. They're, uh, they're a journey, a conversion journey to finding the true self. And, um, and so when Jesus is saying these statements, he's saying you're blessed during these times, even in the most painful situations, when you go through the disorientation of yourself, of life, the, the meaninglessness, questioning everything, the pain, the agony, the hunger of trying to find who you are, he says you're blessed. This is it. You're on the path. And that is, it, it's a, it's a, there, there are markers and it's a, a there uh, expressions that he's saying um, uh, of encouragement that you know that you can come back to this knowing ah this is the way it's a shitty way but it's the way or feels shitty at times um, it's actually really incredible so uh, so these uh, the thing too about these beatitudes is, is um, this whole journey is, is I, I uh, has been I could see my personal transformation in this as I write this out as I've gone through it over the past four or five years I can see these changes I can see this uh, this um, validated with these statements that Jesus makes <clears throat> so then here we are we're in the seventh episode now. Oh man, I hope I can make it through this because every episode I give I give background, and then I and then I also really really encourage you to listen to the previous episodes start from the starting point in succession and sequence because you don't want to take it out of context. They build off each other, and that's the way Jesus. I think Jesus meant it. I don't know if he did. That's uh, that's my assumption. And again, just as a warning, these are all my thoughts. This is uh, I'm I'm bridging this assembling this all together from personal experience, my own personal therapy, um, attachment psychology, psycho, psychodynamic uh, psychology, um, experiences with clients, uh, interactions with friends, um, some philosophers like um, or, or theologians like Rob Bell, Peter Rollins, um, they're all had an impact on me. So, uh, so it's, it's, uh, these cobbled up ideas that have been uh, patched together from from all of these different dimensions, and um, and I love it. It's super exciting. It's such an adventure. So so anyway, so let me though go through the past six stages very quickly. Jesus talks about poor in spirit, and that there's is the kingdom of heaven, and the poor in spirit means that. Um, that uh, uh, we, so what happens is there's this core loneliness that lives in us that's created often by our families, our parents, usually. When we start to pull away from them to find our own separate self, which happens around the age of two, we then need their support and guidance and their, their conscious awareness to help us understand who we are and to continue, continually have that support with safety, trust, and love that we can then find ourselves and live from an internal connected place, not uh, dependent on the external world. But when that gets all jacked up, whether 
parents don't, you know, they just don't know, they don't, they mean well, but they're, you know, they're off in their responses, or there's, there's this, or there's a real, there's abuse or absence or whatnot, what it does is it creates this loneliness inside, and, uh, and then it creates this dependency on our parents, uh, or, uh, which then turns into an external dependency as we grow up, as we develop in life, looking for nourishment from the external world, extracting, consuming, um, from from our surroundings, so we can feel not feel so lonely. We can feel secure inside. We can feel satisfied, and so we can turn uh, whether it's people or even just lifeless, benign objects into these very powerful uh, uh, sources that we believe are going to cure something in ourselves and and uh, eliminate this loneliness and help us feel connected inside. But then this meaninglessness comes up in us. It just starts naturally occurring. And it starts permeating these illusions, these fantasies, these objects. And, and we begin to realize that everything I've possessed, everything I've tried to hold on to and grip onto, yes, even a relationship, um, is, is, is nothing. You know, I don't have anything. Um, and that even reminds me, like, even if you were to look at domestic violence, the, the perpetrator of domestic violence underneath they're so terrified of loss and I don't this isn't in any way uh, uh, um, condoning that it's just speaking to what it is that a person that uh, invokes violence and manipulation is so terrified inside of experiencing their own loneliness and the person leaving and so they will they will control the person subdue the person right so this is what I'm talking about is we'll do this to people and objects and so on and so forth so we can uh, remedy this loneliness inside of ourselves. <clears throat> and then, and so this meaninglessness comes up, it saturates everything, and we realize, I don't have anything, I don't possess anything. No one, an object, a title, it's all, it's all meaningless in the sense of the meaning we've given it. And then what turns this into is then he says, blessed are those who mourn, and so they go through this loss and they grieve what they've attached to. They grieve whether it's, you know, the fantasy, really what they're grieving is the fantasy, the illusion that they've attached to the whatever object, the substitute, the, the, the uh, parental substitute um, that they needed so young in life. And so they mourn this loss and this grieving, it's this cleansing, this purging of those impediments. And, and also this, this loss of who they thought they were, this veneer, this mask they were to, to achieve external acceptance and love and belonging. And then what happens through that is then Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they're going to inherit the earth. And the meek are those that... Uh, um, and, oh, by the way, in the mourning process, he says uh, they'll be comforted. So I see that as this inner strength is growing, being held inside. And in, I know that sounds weird, but it's not looking to the external for that kind of care and support. There's a, there becomes this internal holding that I can, I can go into this pain. I can feel it. And then that turns into the, the blessed are the meek. And the meek, I see, is this return to vulnerability, this tenderizing of our soul, this openness, this malleability, this, this we become more grounded, earthy, centered. We're, we're knocked out of our, uh, the clouds of our illusion and fantasies, and we come back to the ground, to earth. And from there, he then says, blessed are the hunger, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied. And God, that was one of my favorite episodes and writings, is that the hunger and thirst, it's this fury, this rage, this 
deep pain. And it's a hunger that's always been there, deep inside themselves since they were young, but it's often been unconsciously engaged with and, and compulsive and also ravaged by shame and judgment, which continues to further this unconscious, um, this unconscious awareness of what, what our hunger is, what we're actually driven to seek out. But this, but now there's this awakening that happens as we unshackle ourselves, unhook ourselves from the, from uh, 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 the external world in a way, differentiating from that. In this hunger, we realize it's our own. It's the seeking to feel at one with ourselves. That's what righteousness means: is to feel at one within ourselves, aligned, harmonized. So this hunger is this fuel to go out and seek. And the seeking has to, it, it's, it's interesting because the paradox is we actually need to seek in the external world to find ourselves. And I said, like whether dating or whether we try different jobs or we travel different countries or we participate in different um, arts or sports or something that resonates with us, that, ah, this isn't entirely who I am, but I love this. I delight in this. It's not that this thing becomes me. It's that I just enjoy expressing myself through this. I enjoy being a part of this. It, it doesn't fuse into our identity. So, um, so there's this righteousness that we're in search of for ourselves, in search of satisfaction internally. And then comes this next stage where he says, blessed are the merciful. And I see that as during this time of seeking and searching, it, things get really messy. And in this messiness, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna blow up at people. We're gonna throw our, you know, defenses out onto people, project our internal conflicts onto them, and our struggles. And it's just gonna get messy. And but in this process, as we engage with people that are genuine with us, that don't judge us, that help us, that that are reparative in this experience, that that are compassionate and truthful and honest and genuine and tease us and joke with us in this process that we begin to absorb this kind of mercy that we're loved deep down, that there's, a, there, there's this grounded universal love that exists within us. We call it this, or I'd call it this divine love, lives inside of us. <clears throat> and, um, and so, and, and also what, what is unearthed in this is this humor that we can laugh at ourselves in our life at, at uh, you know just at existence and at ourselves and not in not in a harsh way not in a hateful way but actually we can we can see the comedy as we stumble trying to figure this shit out and um and so it's this experience where um then because of this we can uh share this give this provide this respond to people others with this uh this merciful uh, embodiment within ourselves. And then, from there, it moves into the pure in heart. And the pure in heart is where we actually now align with ourselves. We, we can attune to the messages inside, the impulses, the signals. And we respond honestly, genuinely to others we can engage. There isn't this fear of losing someone Rather, we know that the truth, even though it might create division, um, might also create closeness. I don't know, though. But the whole point is that we want to express ourselves in genuine ways. We don't want to hide this stuff anymore, uh, push these parts of ourselves down, emotions or uh, parts of our gender or sexuality or whatnot, or passions or uh, anything, endeavors. 
So, um, so we, we harmonize with ourselves, we become one, which then inevitably produces this peace inside of ourselves. That if you think about it, that when, when this, we have these experiences that uh, show up in a, on a physiological and psychological level inside of ourselves, um, or, or within ourselves, we, uh, those are messages to follow. If you notice that, and I know this sounds weird, if it sounds weird to you, it's because you haven't quite caught up with this in yourself yet. But when we have these experiential reactions going on in us, there's messages in there. There's direction. And so when we become more conscious, this, this uh, awareness widens in us. We now have greater insight, attunement to ourselves. And we live in the world in this purity. And that's what I'm talking about. Is that Purity is not this... Um, um, Purity is this just this genuine alignment, harmonization, union with our own self, and so um, and it's not the the purification systems that were that have been entrenched in religion and the the Israelite culture back then, where you had to cleanse yourself and sacrifice things, so you know, so you could you could uh, free yourself of the defilement that you felt, but really. What that was was the shame and judgment that lived in us internally that was delivered to us from the external, from the people that raised us, that surrounded us, that guided us in life, that we ingested these messages of shame and judgment. And shame is, just clarifies, internalized anger. So it's when we, we turn inward on ourselves, we hate ourselves, when really it's an anger towards those who did the shaming, who judged us. Um, or sometimes it's an anger about this 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 righteous anger um, that uh, we're frustrated with life and trying to figure this all out, but it gets self-directed. And so um, so as we work through this, as we confront these toxicities, as we put the shame and judgment back on the people, um, responsibility back on the people that put it on us, uh, that first put it on us, there's this freeing, we begin to experience this freedom. And, um, and then we can even uh, share ourselves freely, share of ourselves, talk about ourselves, share our histories, our experiences, our stories, what we like, what we don't like, um, you know, without the shame and judgment uh, uh, hindering that because we fear that the other's response. Instead, we can talk from this place boldly. So, which then, whew, that was a long... I can't wait for number eight. <laughs> I'm going to go all over all this again. <clears throat> Actually, in a way, it's good that I go over all this um, because sometimes I know people won't listen to it um, or, or follow the, the order of things. Um, so it's good to, to summarize the past, uh, the past blessings. Now, whew, okay, that brings me into the next round and this is where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now, what's a peacemaker? I can, I mean, when I think of a peacemaker, I got plenty of stereotypes that come up. I can think of, I think of the free-loving hippie, gyrating in the park, you know, with uh, tie-dye shirts on, psychedelically fueled dance movements going on, gesturing peace signs, 
whimsically inserting flowers into barrels of guns that are pointed at them, you know, protesting the forces at large, you know, and instructing humanity in kind of like a hazy, lethargic drawl to love man. You like that? Or maybe, uh, maybe when I think of a peacemaker, it's kind of a peacekeeper. It's the one who instantly shuts down the rise of emotional temperatures. They can feel coming up in their family or, or in exchange with a lover. And they're adamant and emphatic and they say, nope, we're not going to fight. Nope, I'm going to leave if you're going to get angry. Things like that, right? Or they try to calm people down and reassure them or something, right? Or what about the person who just like goes with the flow? Has little to no opinions, hops on a surfboard, lets people be whatever they want to be. I'm really stereotyping here. Um, or what about those campaigns broadcasting the world to stop hate and tolerate, accept everyone? And yet now those messages have been condensed down to a six-by-six-inch sticker slapped on the back of a minivan that says coexist, the letters assembled by, uh, the religious, by various religious symbols. All right? And the person on the, I don't know the reason why I put it on the car, but the, there's this, this uh, well, stopped at a light that there's this hope that the driver behind is going to ingest the message preached from the evangelical adhesive. Or maybe, maybe it's this warm, kind, nice atmosphere cultivated within a religious community where encouragement is highly enforced and anger is domesticated. We're not going to fight any kind of angry confrontation, no. And it's replaced by saccharine displays of embrace and candy-coated platitudes spritzed into the air in the atmosphere the presence of someone who's downcast or upset or discontent in life in the hopes that it's going to brighten their day. Is this, is this what Jesus means? Are these, 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 uh, the, is this what this peacemaker is? Is this what the sons of God are? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig a little bit here. Now, let me start with the last line, sons of God. Now, this is interesting. What is Jesus saying here? Is, is he talking about specifically about being children of the divine? That we're part of the family? That we, you know, that we be, or we become children of the divine? Or, you know, specifically sons? And why aren't daughters included? I mean, come on, Jesus. I mean, what, why aren't women associated into this? Why aren't there daughters of, of God? It's kind of patriar- patriarchal and sexist. Right? I mean, catch up with the times, Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus is not using the statement patriarchally. I can't even say that word. Patriarchally um, or flippantly. This isn't a random usage. And he's not giving some nice warm balm of encouragement to reassure all those to keep keep at it with the peace the peacemaking. And it's not some special title that one wears proudly with all the hours they've put in to giving spreading peace around. Actually, the reality, the truth, is that this designation is political and it's subversive. This title signifies, actually, that one's a troublemaker, an outcast, a rebel, a renegade, 
to the political and religious systems at large. Sons of God was a title, actually. So when Jesus says this, he's actually referencing this title that Caesar Augustus uses of himself proudly, claiming his divinely ordained authority to the world. He ruled, Caesar ruled the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus and was fattened by this, this reigning rule and conquering power. So when Jesus says this, this statement is badass. He's making an outrageously bold, bold statement. Because this title is controversial, it's confrontational, and it's a blatant criticism towards the ubiquitous and cancerous political and religious powers infecting humanity. So we're not talking about some feel-good, prissy denomination. But the one who carries this title is a contagion, an insidious toxin permeating the reigning powers, antithetical to an authentic, connected, loving, and liberated community or humanity. This person is a widening crack, an erosion in a way, in the fragile foundations of the political and religious constructs. Now, back to Caesar, with claiming he's the son of God, this son of God was all about creating peace. It was his mission, his purpose, his objective, his promise. He was a self-designated peacemaker. But here's the thing. Caesar had his own way of reaching this goal for himself. He used violence, destruction, annihilation. And anything that caused a disruption or a threat to the tranquility of his kingdom and rule, that person would be wiped out, extinguished. Bye-bye. So, he was committed to peacekeeping or peacemaking, but for the sake of himself, for sustaining peace, for him, snuffing out, exterminating the weeds and antigens, contaminating his quote-unquote zen. So that meant that when Jesus, when, he's, when Jesus says this, he's unashamedly confronting the, these gluttonous and narcissistic systems that engorge themselves off control and power over the powerless, the hungry, the lonely, the weak, the vulnerable, to make peace solely for themselves for the sake of of self-preservation. <clears throat> They're trying to hold their systems together, in other words. So these systems, uh, just so you know, these systems are constructed collectively out of this inner lack, this lack that I've been talking about, this lack that lives inside of us. It's the same paradigm, just in a bigger form, a bigger body. There's no difference between the monstrous kingdoms and how an individual operates out of this whole <clears throat> they feel at the core of themselves. Because in reality, it's, there's this same devotion to enter, devoting their energies to some magical object to feel secure, in control, certain, satisfied, and using people instrumentally to achieve this. So Jesus talks about this, when he's talking about this, this uh, peacemaking, he's talking about the kind of peacemaking that creates fault lines in the systems of security we've created, sustained, and imprisoned ourselves to being dependent upon. It's, it's this kind of peace 
making that disturbs the manufactured peace we strenuously fight to construct for ourselves, compulsively and constantly having to restore. This peacemaking is so far removed, it's so differentiated entirely from the ruling kingdoms and systems at large. This peacemaking is not what these large overstuffed kingdoms use where they use mean, the means of violence, control, and coercion to keep themselves uh, 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 standing. No, this peacemaking actually uh, infiltrates that uh, insidiously. So then this peacemaking, right? Where, when Jesus is talking about this, where does this come from? Right? If, if, when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, it's these people that embody peace. Well, as I said before, that when someone finds this peace within, when they go through this grueling journey of unshackling from the external world, differentiating, um, losing the sacred object they think will f- fill this hole in themselves, and they go into the hole and face the loneliness, the pain, and, and reconnect to the hunger that drives them to search for themselves and find themselves in the world, that there's this peace that comes from that, that lives in them. And it's this kind of peacemaking then that comes from facing this inner loneliness and disconnect that's haunted oneself from such an early age. It's a peacemaking that's generated out of the painful loss of the artificial fillers and the veneers masking the true self. A peacemaking expressed from vulnerability, compassion, having found oneself. A peacemaking boldly articulated out of genuineness and inner union, harmonization, and alignment, right? The pure at heart. So the peacemaker knows deeply, personally, intimately, they know this path. They know how turbulent, how laborious it is. They, They know what it takes to get to this peaceful place inside themselves. This path, this path is fucking difficult. It's unpredictable, and it's disturbing. It, it, it's it's uh, plastered with disturbing moments of excruciating pain and heartbreak and disorientation and anger, rage, and facing this ominous loneliness that's tormented us. The peacemaker has confronted all of this. And when I say confront, I mean embraced all this, felt through all this, and experienced the impediments that have obstructed an inner connection to their true self. One who has found peace has found freedom in themselves. I love that so much. That the peace, freedom, genuineness, vulnerability, all of that is all synonymous. Aliveness, all synonymous with each other. It's a kind of freedom that comes with the extinguishment of judgment and any other external voice going on inside. And so when peace then takes over, becomes us, embodies us, then the one who's experienced this can't just sit on this. They've got to share it. They've got to bring it. They imbue this to others, to the world, through their own passionate and genuine expression. Notice that. It's, it's through their own unique expression, their own avenue, their own way, their own canvas, their own um, 
uh, instrument, in a way, of expressing this. And so once they've gone down this difficult road of delayering, this unmasking, then, and finding them, then the nature that takes over them, the nature of the peacemaker, is bold, active, passionate, engaging, vulnerable, honest, genuine, so on and so forth, when, as they commune with the world around them. It's so, it just naturally radiates from them. It's a part of them. They live, the peacemaker lives by a different set of rules, one that operates within the realms of love. The, the, the external rules go away and they, they find themselves now connected to the essence of the law, which is to restore, repair, build, connect, be genuine, find your true self. And so, um, so the self then, when the self resides in this peaceful dimension, like the, the person who lives out of this, they don't preach, they don't evangelize in the way that we think. To, you know, to, to others, to accept their personal truth. Instead, they join others. They share their message. They write things like this. They do podcasts because they love it and they enjoy it and they want to share it with people, but they don't force it upon people. They don't preach to people to try to convince them, to get them to see it their way. No. Instead, the peacemaker joins others and opens up to their personal stories to learn and discover. And the one who's at harmony with themselves inextricably becomes harmonized with life, with this, which, just, which then means that when they embrace the other, they open themselves up to compassionately listen to the details of the other's chronicles. And the peacemaker harmonizes with their story. They begin to see, oh, I get it. It's a bunch of different events, but I can hear me in there. I can find me in there. And we identify then with one's with our own self in the pages of the one who's sharing, reading their story to us. That's true connection. That's that harmony is when we, there's this parallel processing. We engage, we can find ourselves, we can experience what they're experiencing, but we also, we, we, we discover that we know that that's us as well. And this isn't done by a way when we engage with people. It's not done by force or demand or anything right? We just be with them. And so because of this connected attunement, then the peacemaker, they can pick up the cacophonous and dissonant frequencies that plague the other person, that inhibit an inner connection that creates static in finding themselves and finding their peace, their own peace. And so in a genuine and relational disposition, they draw out the true self, heard through the words, lovingly and truthfully, confronting the shame and judgment that have distorted, infected, and suffocated the individual's genuine self. In other words, they're real with the person. They address these things. They point out when that's shame. They point out when that's judgment. They point out when, they're, um, when the person is projecting, when, they, when they're misdirecting their anger, so on and so forth, that we express with care what we're seeing. And it's not done, again, it's not done by force, by demand, by getting them to see it. They don't invest in having to get the person to see it. They just merely peacefully say, here's what I'm seeing and here's what I'm hearing. <clears throat> and they do it in their own unique way. Um, but it also what they do is by speaking their truth, they invite the other to look inside. 
to the inner places that the, that the individual circumvented for years. And so those that are rooted in peace, they deeply care for the world around, illuminating reality, even if it's painful. Because reality is painful. My therapist would point out tons of things when I was in this relationship, or just throughout my relationship with him, um, when I, uh, my romantic relationship, and also, let me phrase that, and also in this therapeutic relationship. He would point out this reality, and it would suck. It would pierce at times. But man, oh man, I needed it. And something would awaken in me. <clears throat> so, so, when one moves in the realms of peace, they address the reality. They speak the truth. But it's always grounded in love and care. And they boldly address the wrongdoing, the harmful, divisive, controlling, abusive, and manipulative actions inflicted upon others, whether it's done on an individual level or a systemic level. But one who operates out of an inner peace, they also don't live in the world uh, of, of dualistic structures. And what I mean by that is this right versus wrong. This is right, this is wrong. This is good, this is bad. It's not, that's not how this person approaches life. They don't say, oh, well, porn is all bad. It's evil. It causes this. It causes that. No. They don't split like that. They can see the bad and good in all of it. An affair, same thing. Uh, drug addiction, same thing. That, that there's, there's something in there that's not entirely bad. There's something that, that someone's trying to connect to in themselves. Does that make sense? I'm asking the invisible audience if that makes sense. So, um, so they don't live in these, this dualistic <clears throat> dimension. They don't split or segregate. They approach life and humanity with a deeper, unitive understanding that everything is there for a reason. Everything has a story and meaning. And there's a sincere openness, then, to hear the wider narratives behind the behaviors. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> the peacemaker also lives present, attuned, attentive to their experiencing, meaning what's going on in me? What's happening right now? Where am I at right now? Where's direction? Where's this direction going <clears throat> in myself? And they're being guided from within. And the other thing is when they live in the present, they're confidently moving in mystery and uncertainty. So here, where before, living in this place where, the, where we lived in the world, extracting from it, trying to feel safe and secure and always anxious and planning ahead and preparing and all. No, now the person uh, allows mystery to be there. In fact, it becomes exciting. And, uh, and so they can embrace not knowing. Not knowing what's beyond, not in, in, a, in a greater scheme, in the meta-narrative of life, not, not knowing what's after, but also not knowing what's going to happen five minutes from now. They're just... They're so connected to where they're at. And so they embrace life as it happens. <laughs> and they engage their whole selves as they interact in the moment. Now, what's interesting, too, is what I included in this, what came up as I was writing this, was that <clears throat> this thought of how we become the sacrifice. right? Because... Um, you know, Jesus is talking to an audience that's so uh, entrenched and, and, and immersed in the, 
uh, in the whole sacrificial ceremony, uh, ritualistic culture. And, um, and so there's this part where when Jesus, this isn't in the Beatitudes, but there's this statement that Jesus makes that stayed with me, where he talks about the greatest or truest love being that of one who lays down his life for his brother. And what he's doing here, if I'm piecing this all together to understand, to capture this, is that he's rupturing this whole paradigm of a sacrificial system. And this is, again, in connection with the sacrificial way a peacemaker lives in the world. So where these systems were once constructed to address the inner conflicts and interpersonal problems through ritualistic sacrifices, offering animals and grains to appease a higher power, here now Jesus displays and teaches a different way of sacrifice altogether. This is where this is so incredibly beautiful because it's no longer a ceremonial system. This is a robust, evolving, dynamic, interactive, fluid, genuine realm of connection with others. It's a realm that works through the difficult, the conflicting problems, the inhibitions that prevent closeness, freedom, exploration, sharing, laughter, creativity, passion, individuality, diversity, sexuality, openness, all of that stuff. That's what this is about. So the one who lays down his life is the one who moves in the world genuinely and vulnerably. And they bring their full self into the picture as they connect with the outer world. And added to this profundity is that the person who lives life this way, who shares of themselves this way, deeply enjoys and finds pleasure in themselves in the way they interact and express their self through whatever passions it is, whatever passions that are unique to them, they deeply enjoy it. That's all that even matters. I remember when my therapist was saying that for him, it doesn't matter the outcome. It doesn't matter how the person responds or whether they get something from out of it. What matters is that he enjoys being genuine. And that was such a paradigm shift for me, was that that's how I see living in the world is when someone is so grounded in themselves that knows their passion, knows their message, and they express it with the greatest, most vibrant enjoyment and pleasure. So the person then has found their distinct message and their distinct way of communicating. And yes, having hope that it will impact others to find themselves, right? But the one who lays down his life Whereas Paul says in Romans, the, 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 when one becomes a living sacrifice, it's the one who brings their whole self into the picture, their self alive, vibrant, illuminating, radiant, free and genuine to the world and enjoys their own self and sharing who they are, again, regardless of the external response. So for me, then I thought, well, that completely changes this idea of martyrdom. Because in martyrdom, right, if we know about martyrs, it's, it's those that are, the, um, we call them sort of the fundamentalists in a way, but <clears throat> it's a misappropriation or mis, mis, uh, misconstruing of that word. But martyrdom has often been associated with those that, uh, for the sake of their religion, for the sake of their God, <clears throat> that they will destroy others who don't ascribe. They're the enemy 
right? They don't ascribe to their belief system, their practices, and they'll kill themselves in the process of conducting mass annihilation. So for the sake of God or divine or whoever, this higher power, people will then plunge themselves into others, causing death to themselves and those around. And for the sake of a pleasure of a higher power, but also eternal reward. But here, what, I, what I've unearthed and what Jesus is talking about, what Paul talks about, is that the true martyr, the real martyr, the authentic martyr, who's gone through a personal death, who's lost their false self, who they thought they were, and all the meaning that they've uh, attached to things that were meaningless in the way they thought they had meaning, <clears throat> if that made sense, in the way that they, they, they think they construe these things to have meaning. That when this person goes through this death of themselves, they then arise liberated from the eternal, the, the external systems and having found their personal identity and genuineness. And out of this, they illuminatingly share their authentic self. Here I am, in a way. But not with getting others to see. They just, it's not this needy, desperate, see me, love me. No, it's someone who loves who they are. It's so solid and cemented in who they are. And they share this. They beam this this authentic self that's awakened to life and love to, to in the presence of others. They just, they're just who they are. They can laugh, they can cry, they can weep, they speak the truth. They can, it's just, it just radiates out of them. And it generates impact. And so in doing, again, out of being themselves, out of sharing this, illuminating this, they experience concurrently this deep personal satisfaction and pleasure independent of what will happen. The peacemaker, therefore, lives in the world in freedom, centered in an inner peace and truth, indulging in life, indulging in life, in pleasure, engaging wholeheartedly, inviting others to experience this for themselves, free of formulas, free of self-help seminars and gimmicks, and joining an exclusive club, honestly, to invite them to find themselves and live out of this, this place. That's what the peacemaker offers. That's what they radiate. That's what they, um, they billow outward. It's, it's what they express and broadcast to the world. Now, Here's the thing that I'll end on, which will set me up for the next, <clears throat> the, the next and final blessing, is that out of this lifestyle, as I said before, one, the peacemaker disrupts and disturbs the systems at large. Sometimes, sometimes it's in blatant confrontation of the deliberate calculated schemes to keep others hooked to their object that falsely promises satisfaction and certainty while only delivering continuous imprisonment. Sometimes that happens. But here's the thing. 
I think is even more powerful, is that rather than attacking just the systems at large, and I'm not saying that's not important, and there isn't some effectiveness there and, and, and uh, significance to that, but I'd say even more powerfully that the, the peacemaker disturbs the systems by inviting others to discover their true selves, fumigating the illusions of the magical object, and becoming emancipated from the religious and political corporations that are, that are actually kept alive because of a dependency on the promise of security and fulfillment that the systems promise. So, in other words, which is probably going to not, which is still going to be not as clear. <laughs> in other words, the one who illuminates this peace to others, this, this, this life lived enjoyably and pleasurably out of the liberated and differentiated self, unshackled from the tyrannies of searching to feel whole through some fantastical object that, that the person that illuminates this is a threat to the systems that seek to preserve their constructs of power and security, sustained by the worship of the people looking for answers and products they promote will fill the gap inside. And you can, you can place whatever you want in that. But a peacemaker disturbs, disrupts that. They're an antigen to that. And this gap, once again, that people seek in these systems, that the systems feed off of promising fulfillment, it's a gap that's meant to be embraced, an inner hole to go into, to find true, lasting, eternal satisfaction, not to stuff, but to find that then we might try to find actual fulfillment. Therefore, the peacemaker is both a liberator and an enemy. And that is all, folks. Hopefully you sit with that for a while. You might need a drink or two or something after hearing that. This is meaty. I mean, this is, this, this is sinuous. This is, uh, it's got some, some grit, some gristle to it. Um, so even I had to kind of chew through this little bit that was coming out of me. So I've confused myself at times. <laughs> but anyway, um, on that note... Till next time, it will be the last part of the Beatitude series. Take care.